good morning. Listen, uh, I'm really excited to be here today. I, uh, anybody else just excited? Anybody else just like, you just have a, yeah, like, listen, I'm going to bring a lot of energy to the room and I'm warning you ahead of time. We have sermons like this about every six weeks here at Kessid and uh, they're getting, people are getting a little more used to them, but sometimes it's like the louder I get, the quieter you get. And so I just want to give you permission we're, we're just going to roll this thing today, and God is going to do some really cool stuff. He has in the last two services, and uh, it's just been amazing. So, uh, so I'm just super excited about it. So if you can, just join with me in prayer. Uh, we, will, uh, we will just spend some time just getting ready for what he wants to accomplish. Amen? All right. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for uh, this place. Thank you so much for this opportunity to, uh, to gather. Thank you so much for just a chance to uh, just be in this place, to connect with you, and to experience all that it is that you want to do, Lord. We are so very thankful. We are so very thankful for just the way that you are uh, providing, for the way that you are moving, for the way that you are shaking us up, for the way you are tearing down our expectations. Lord, we are just, we're just blown away by it. And so today, I ask that your spirit would once again just uh, remove any agenda but but his own, that God, we would just experience you, that we would learn about you, that we would bring all of our stuff, that we would be present in what we're dealing with, and it would be authentic, and it would be real, and it would be undoubtable. Thank you, Father, for this chance to just uh, talk about you in this place with so many people from so many different stories. It's only you, Lord, that can make it all come together. We lift this time up in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we're in a series right now called Rise, and the series is uh, originally planned for nine weeks. Uh, I saw quite a few other preachers do the book of Acts in nine weeks, and I thought, that's perfect. We'll run the book of Acts for nine weeks. We'll just soak in the scripture. We'll talk about the early church and all that it's doing and the rising from the death of Christ into this world and into what it is now. And then we'll do Easter, and then we'll start on to whatever the Holy Spirit's doing. But I don't know if you're tracking where I'm tracking, but we're week three of a nine-week series, and we're on chapter three of a 28-chapter book. So, so I, I was like, I think I misjudged just how much of the book I would want to teach, because I'm not, I don't have to. I could just do all the high point stuff, but you're going to see again today, these, it's like every single chapter, uh, and sometimes every single half chapter, is a whole entire message by itself. So instead, we're just going to kind of allow God to run our agenda and we're probably going to do still rise for nine weeks and end on chapter 10 or wherever it is, do Easter. And then we'll start um, a new series, picking up right where we left off in Acts, uh, for another 10 or so chapters. And then we'll probably start another new series, finishing the book of Acts. I, I have a feeling it's going to be a three-series uh, study just because of all the response and all the people that uh, have really just uh, taken to heart what Scripture says about them and their role in the local church, which is what this book is really about. So quick catch up if you weren't here for the last two weeks. Uh, right now, in the first few chapters, we've seen that Luke, who's writing the book of Acts, is keeping track of all that's happening within this newly fledged church. Last week, we talked about Pentecost, about the spirits falling, about Peter and his sermon uh, that he gave, very first sermon, in spite of all his story and the stuff that was keeping him from doing it. He still stepped forward and he's still engaged, and God just 
just blessed his words. And one thing you'll notice about the book of Acts is it doesn't always work day by day. Sometimes Luke just moves forward and says, and then this happened. And you really have to understand it's been a few months or, or at, at the very least a few weeks. And that's exactly what we're picking up here in chapter three. Peter and John are now going to go to church. By this time, uh, it's been probably a couple of months. There's been 3,000 plus people baptized into this new church. And Peter, John, and the other disciples are having to dialogue with some really difficult questions that come whenever you lead any kind of movement, especially a church plant, especially the very first church plant. And that is, they have to answer this all very difficult question of who will lead them. Who's going to lead them? Now, you might think, well, it should be really easier, easy. It should be Peter, right? Because he gave the sermon. Well, not necessarily. Because although Peter gave a great sermon, he still had kind of a warped reputation. There's also by this time been some really well-known rabbis that have entered the church. These are people with followings. These are people with clout. These are people who know more Romans. These are people who know more higher-end Jews. These are people who, who could really help the church. Maybe they should lead them. Maybe it's some of the, the, the other apostles that, that, that haven't played a major role and God's awakening them. No one really knows like, what should happen next. They just know they should go to church, keep baptizing, keep talking about Jesus. And so that's exactly what they're doing. Peter and John are going to church. And on the way to church, they come across a beggar. And this beggar then brings to light, which is what's going to happen today for all of us, one core issue, one core huge theme that flows throughout Scripture, which is what are we going to do with our pride? What are we going to do when it could be us that leads or someone else that leads? How are we going to face a situation that brings into public view the stuff inside my heart? See, pride has been an issue for a very long time for churches because all churches are led by men and women, and men and women are all filled with pride. Therefore, all churches face the same great obstacle when faced with the reality of ultimate control. Pride is, I'll put this on the screen, humanity's most ancient obstacle, our first and primary enemy of holiness. And the new church has to face it just like everybody else. Who's going to lead? And this beggar is going to force them to answer. The Bible says a lot about pride, Psalm 10.4. I like this one. This is the one that I'm going to start with because it's my home run verse. The next two are just uh, grounders, but this one's really powerful. Proverbs 13, or Proverbs 10.4, it says, In the pride of his face... The wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. Now, this verse is very powerful for a couple reasons. First off, most of us think pride is something you do. It's something you do or don't do. You walk into a room, and uh, if people feel like you're arrogant because you act arrogant or you say things that make people uh, feel dumb, then you're prideful. But according to this verse, pride isn't something you do. Pride is something you are. It's going to get personal. It's only going to get worse. So just, just bleed, right? That's the answer. Just bleed out, okay? Pride is something you are. As a matter of fact, pride is often only discovered by God through little tiny signs of your face and your thoughts. And so you walk into a room and you see somebody and you're like, hmm, all I did was blink weird. You didn't notice. I noticed. I'm like, hmm, it's my pride blink, hmm, Right? my pride blink. In my heart, though, in my mind, I'm like, I can't stand that person. I can't believe they're here. I don't know why they're here right now. I thought this was supposed to be my special night. And whatever takes off. Pride it often is, is being uh, woven into what we are, not just what we do. Here's a few more. Proverbs 13, 10. Where there is strife, there is pride, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. 
Wisdom is found in those who take advice. I think a lot of people, I've been around a lot of people recently, especially as the church has grown, that want to sit and listen to advice but don't actually take it. And I think they actually enjoy listening to advice because they're having their pride kind of stroked while the person giving the advice is having their pride being stroked. And suddenly you're in this environment where everybody's sort of touching everybody else. And, oh, can you, what would you do in this situation? Oh, my gosh, you want to know what I would do in this situation? I mean, I don't even know. But here's what I would do, all right? I would do this, 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 and this. And the person's like, really? Oh, man, thank you so much for that input. And then they leave, and you're like, what an idiot. (laughs) This is so much of how we work and how we, uh, you know, backscratch each other in order to get the job or to get the deal. We ask advice. According to this verse, you're actually supposed to take it. But it does also mean you better find somebody whose ego isn't stroked when they give advice. And those people, well, they're everywhere. Like, don't you want to know what I think? I mean, don't you want to know what, I, what I'm doing right now? And I'm like, not really, because you want me to know so bad. And because you want me to know so bad, I know that you're going to give me advice that only glorifies you. That's pride. Isaiah 2.12, the Lord Almighty has a day in store for all the proud and lofty, for all that is exalted, and they will be humbled. The Lord takes pride very seriously because pride has drenched humanity since the very beginning. It was pride that brought about the great fall with Adam and Eve. For Adam and Eve wanted to write their own narrative. They wanted to write their own story. They wanted to be the ones that authored every move they made. And so they decided that they would eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil so they could understand what God understands because they didn't trust that God understanding was enough. So much of our problems that we have right in this room right now, I mean, if I was to sit with you and you were to really be ugly, ugly, not embarrassed, honest with the stuff inside your life, breaks down to you thinking you know more than God. That's what you think. That's what I think. I think I read it and I go, that's how I'm supposed to live? Kind of. I mean, that's a really old book. And I got really new problems. (laughs) and I read the really old book and I apply them to my really new problems and I'm like, I'm not sure that's really the best uh, piece of advice I've heard and so I'm going to go talk to someone who really enjoys giving me their wisdom so they can feel good about themselves and I can feel good about myself that they're as stupid as as I thought they were not to take their advice and then go about my own self, doing my own thing only to stumble, fall, and blame it on everyone else around me. (laughs) You've just been diagnosed. Do you know how I know your sickness? Because I am also currently a patient. I am also currently uh, going to those same spiritual visits and hearing God say, Danny, this is how I want you to live. And instead I'm saying with pride in my heart, I, I don't want to. Pride at a base level is taking the glory that belongs to God alone and keeping it for ourselves. Pride is essentially self-worship. Adam and Eve worshipped themselves. And so God said, then you can be the gods of this world. And we've been striving ever since to get it under control since. As a church, we are called to face this sinful epidemic head on. The acknowledgement of this battle is built within even what we call ourselves, which is Christian, meaning little Christ. Even to say you're a Christian is to acknowledge there is going to be a battle between the one and only Christ 
and you struggling to be the one and only Christ because you are not. You are a little Christ. It's a phrase meant to remind us that we are not at the center of the movement. (laughs) So many people get involved in church and then think like they're the only church doing anything. You know, I preach a lot. I actually told a guy recently this. I preach a lot. This may not be the best church for you. I preach a lot that that you really need to wrestle with God and wrestle with your heart and, and ask him to lead you to where you're supposed to be. Do you know, just this week, I had someone come sit in my office, meet with me, and openly tell me this is probably not the best church for me. And it was awesome. It was just unbelievable. And I, I, I loved on them, and I said, I see that as well. And they said, what should we do? And I've been texting trying to find them another church. They're visiting another church, I believe, today. And there's no evil. There's no malintent. There was just some things they needed that we weren't doing right now. And I was okay with that. And they were okay that I was okay. And we were all okay. And we sat down our pride and said, what do we do? And we worked on it. And it's not going to work. And so now it's going to be about finding a community that fits. Because there's so many great communities in our, in our area that are doing great things for God. The problem is, we get caught up in ours think ours is the movement, ours is the only anointed one, ours is the everything, and then we become prideful. See, we don't want to be little Christ. We want to be little kings. See, little kings are good because you're not the king. I mean, I'm not the king. I'm not God, man. Don't put your stuff on me. I'm not God. I am a little king, though, and I know some stuff, and I got some advice if you want to hear it. But I'm not God, man. Don't blame me if it doesn't work out. But if you want to know what I think, I will hook you up with all kinds of information because I know so much stuff. We all want to be little kings because we want to win. C.S. Lewis says this about pride. Just, just let it wash over you, okay? Just let, it, just let whatever's competing in your mind right now keeping you from really believing you are this person I'm preaching to because, unfortunately, that person is also preaching to you. I'm in it. We're in it. Let's let Scripture and Holy Spirit do what it does, but listen to this quote from C.S. Lewis. I like to just call him Lewis because we're super close that way. (laughs) At its core, at its core, pride is by nature competitive. It is competitiveness that is at the very heart of pride. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they're not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. <laughs> so we walk in, and we're like, we're like, oh, man, I'm just having a really high self-esteem day, when really what you're saying is, I feel like I'm in better shape than most people here. I feel like I'm probably a little wealthier. All right, I'm doing good because I'm better than you all. Great. All right, good. Good day to go serve. Right? And, that, and that's ugly and, and I don't think consistent. Let's be clear. But I think what we have to realize, here's what we have to realize. When we sing these songs or come to these services and we talk about surrendering our all to Jesus, we talk about laying down our power, we talk about laying down our, our, our stuff, we have to then realize that in order for you to surrender something, you have to rule something. Okay? People don't surrender stuff they don't own. I've never walked by and seen a guy looking at a car and been like, fine, you can have it if it's not my car. 
right? That makes no sense. Like, I think we show up at church, we're like, God, you can have it all. You can have everything. You can have the mountains and the trees and the rivers. You can have them. They're not yours. What God wants is your pride. What God wants is the stuff you rule because you, like me, want to be a little king. Now, on the other side of that, Timothy Keller says this. On the other side, there's such a thing as true gospel humility. And true gospel humility means I stop connecting every experience, every conversation with myself. In fact, I stop thinking about myself altogether. This is the freedom of self-forgetfulness. This is a great little book if you want to research. It's called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. It's a four-chapter book by Timothy Keller. Uh, I just finished it this week for this sermon. And the idea is quite simple. Paul is dealing with a specific church that is prideful in the fact that Paul planted them as a church. And they're upset that another church plant that's doing really well was planted by Apollos. And so you've got the disciples of Apollos saying, no, no, no. We are the truest Christians because we were planted by Apollos. And you have the disciples of Paul saying, are you kidding me? Like, like Paul was blinded and now he sees. Just like you apparently are blinded and don't see like us. And there's this huge tension. So Paul comes into the midst and he goes, hold on. Here's the thing. This is really important, you guys. I don't care. It's a profound, profound passage that he unpacks in this book. I don't care. And his version, Paul is probably the most caring less, most caring person you've ever heard of in your life. Because here's the thing with Paul. Paul doesn't care about the church that doesn't think there's any power in being planted by him. He says that. Paul also doesn't care about the church that thinks there's all power being planted in him. Paul even goes further to say, I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think. As a matter of fact, I don't even care what I think. He says, when I think and I rule me, then I become excited and filled when people tell me I do great things, and I become depressed and sad when people tell me I do bad things. So I don't care what you think. I don't care what you think, and I don't care what I think. I want to forget myself and instead focus upon Christ who makes me everything that I am. This is why Paul can say, I am the chief of sinners. There's no worse sinner than me. Follow me. Let's plant a church. Have you ever thought about that? Like his, his opening statement is, I am the worst person in the room to do this job. There's nobody worse than me. Nobody, nobody is more disqualified from leading and hearing from God than me. Listen to me. God's given me a word. People are like, ah. But what he's saying is that I don't live based on your expectations, high or low. And guess what? I don't live on my expectations of me, high or low. Do you know how sad I can get when I do things that I shouldn't? Do you know how proud I can get when I do things maybe the rest of you can't? This is the human condition. We want to be kings. Paul says we have to forget ourselves, for there is only one king. This is exactly what Peter is facing as he's on his way to church. Acts chapter 3, let's set the context. Now, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John go into the temple, he asked to receive alms from them. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. 
This is very important, okay? This is a very important context you understand for the conversation that's following. First off, humility doesn't mean being unseen. Those of you in the room who you think the only way to give or the only way to help is to do it from behind the scenes because that's the most humble thing, that may be for you, but it speaks more about your brokenness than it does about the Bible. It speaks more about the Holy Spirit saying to you, hey, you probably shouldn't go up there and do that. That's going to mess you up. You need to not be seen. But there are people that God has caused to stand on stages, to sit behind megaphones, to write books, to confront people, to share with people, to love, to give in a seen way that God uses just as powerful as he uses us in the secret. Matthew 5, 16, direct to us in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your God works, may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. Okay, we are called constantly to be lights. Now, I don't know how many of you have lights in your basement that you use every single day uh, to, to, to bring life into your home, but God does have some lights in the front room, and he has some lights outside, and he has some lights that travel with you. He has lights that he wants us to use, and just because you are quiet and others are not does not necessarily mean that people are being prideful. For Peter says to the man who asks, will you help me and raises his right hand, Peter says, look at me. Look into my eyes. And then he proceeds to bless him. Acts 3, 6, but Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Okay, this is where it's going to get it's going to get really, really real for some of you right now. Peter is on his way to church. There's a beggar who is basically at home at the gates of the temple. Peter sees the beggar. He knows the beggar's going to ask him because Peter knows that people are talking about his church that's now up to probably 3,500, 4,000 people, you know, in just a matter of a few months. And wouldn't it make sense that people would be watching Peter go to church, how he behaves, how he prays, how he worships? I mean, he's kind of at this point looking like the most likely person to lead and answer that great question, who will lead them? As Peter walks up to the beggar, the beggar knows people are watching. He raises his right hand for the left hand is unclean and he says, hey, you want to help me out? Be really good for you. Be really good for me. He looks around, apparently, because Peter, standing there, says, hey, why don't you look at me? Why isn't he looking at him if he's asking him for money? Because there's a lot of people watching this scene. And the beggar figures this is a pretty good shoe-in for some alms. So he looks up at Peter, and Peter says, I don't have any money for you, but I got something else. And almost without even asking the man's permission, he grabs his hand, and he pulls him forward. Now, I want you to read this very carefully, okay? Verse 7, I want you to read the order of how this happens very carefully. And he took him by the right hand, the hand that was lifted up asking for alms, and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. This is a very important theological point for some of you that you need to see. Peter reaches down, uh, go back to the previous verse. He reaches down, takes him by the right hand and raised him up and immediately his feet were healed. He grabs him, he raises him and then he's healed. He grabs him, then he raises him. By the way, he's raising a crippled man off the ground. And then as the man goes to step on his crippled feet, he's healed. 
There is movement of faith on Peter's behalf, and there is somehow, for some reason, movement of faith on the beggar's behalf, because instead of him laying back or screaming no or saying wait, he tries to actually stand. Then in the movement and the process, there's healing. Why is this so important? Because there are so many people, and I'm just going to call you out right now, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but you know who you are. You are the beggar on the ground. You got through this depravity thing early on with your Christian faith. You need help. I need help. I'm depraved. I'm broken. I'm a king. As a matter of fact, up to this point in the sermon, you're golden. You're like, yeah, these people need to know they need help. Get them, Pastor Danny. They need to know they need help. Amen. Hallelujah. I love it. He's tearing them up, honey. He's tearing them up. Here's the thing, right? You, you, you're this guy. Grab hand and wait. I believe you, Jesus. I reach out my hand in order to to find fulfillment in money, things of this world, uh, things that, that I can control. I need help. I need alms. Then somewhere along the way in this church or another one or over coffee, the Holy Spirit said, no, you don't. You don't need any of that stuff, brother. You need me. And the Holy Spirit reached down and grabbed you and then you sat there like, you're going to bless me. You're going to bless me. You're going to heal me, and then I'm going to stand. I'm going to, I'm going to stand, everybody. I know God. You're going to bless me, and then I'm going to stand. And the Holy Spirit's like, if you stand, I'll bless you. If you stand, I'll bless you. My feet are, my feet are broken, though. Like, I, I, I fall flat on my face. There's a lot of people watching right now. But if you heal me, I will stand. And God's like, oh, no, no. See, it is by faith. And so you must stand. And so you have lived your entire Christian life in rags on the floor, touched by the hand of God, proclaiming to Jesus, to everyone you walk by without any healing or overcoming in your entire rancid life. I'm this guy. I have areas in my life just like this. I have so many areas in my life that I've reached out to God and I feel him and I worship him and I surrender to him and I'm like, just take it away from me, God. Just heal me, God. And I will jump up and I will dance before you and I will exchange these rags for robes and I will be a whole new person. I won't sleep around. I won't do porn. I won't do drugs. I'll treat people different. I'll stop lying. I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll, I'll move out of the person that I'm living with in sin. I'll make decisions that are different. I'll proclaim you to all my friends that think I'm crazy. Just heal my heart, God. And God's like, oh no, you misunderstand I can do all that stuff without you I am far more concerned with healing you and I need you to stand up for that to happen this is this is this is church today this is wrong today and it was wrong then God wants to bring healing in your life but he is waiting for you to step out and it's going to be embarrassing and it's going to be hurtful but it's gonna be cleansing and healing when you raise the brokenness of your soul and take that first step towards cleansing and God catches you and says, I got you. It's gonna be life-changing. But until then, you're still gonna be saved. You're still gonna be loved. You're still gonna have tons of wisdom because let's admit it, you live at the gates of the church. You've heard all the sermons. But you're also still gonna be covered in rags And you're still going to be someone who just talks about miracles instead of receiving miracles. Someone who preaches about love instead of actually walking in, dancing in, leaping in, showing what the love of God can accomplish in your life. I don't want to be that person. I have some areas in my life that I am that person. I am a little king 
in so many areas of my life. My wife and I just talked about this. She was quick to point out where they are. <laughs> Unbelievable. I was like, where do you think? She was, I was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> like that was way faster than I thought it would be. <laughs> but the reality is I am. But because I touch Jesus and because I can hear his voice and because I walk on this stage, maybe, I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm not fully surrendering and stepping into what it is he's asked me to step into. So I ponder that with you. I hurt with you over that. And like Paul who said, hey, I'm, I'm first. I'm the chief of sinners. I also convict you in the name of the Holy Spirit for that stuff in your life. I'm the worst. But you're right there with me. Amen? Amen. I told you, how could you skip this chapter, right? How could you skip this story and move on to the other stuff that everybody knows about? This stuff is amazing. Uh, Okay, so there's a few more things I want to show you that then Peter did. For at this point in the story, Peter is being faced with that question I started the sermon with, which is who will lead them? See, it says in verse 11 that the the beggar was clinging to Peter and John, and people were astounded that they ran together to them where they were. And so here's what happened next. Peter realizes at this point that people are now thinking he is the next little king, or even worse, ponder this, that he might be the next Messiah. For he is Peter who spent time with the Messiah, and he just healed a blind man, and he just gave a great sermon. He might be the leader of the church. He's the little king that we want. He's the little king that we need. See, people love little kings. That's why we love celebrities so much. Little kings are just people. I wrote this. Little kings are just people others can lift up or tear down as they see fit, making they themselves feel powerful like little kings as well. This is why people love to to watch all the shows and buy all the magazines because they're like, look how beautiful they are. Oh, one day I might be that beautiful. And then in the exact same breath, it's like, look how terrible they are. Thank God I'm not that bad. (laughs) And sometimes it's the same people within the same month. And we're like, oh, oh, I hope for them, but I hope they die. And we just, we just, we, we marionette them, right? In our souls with our, with our, because we want to be the authors. We want to be the rulers. We want to be the ones that deem us more than and not less than. Peter knows this. And so Peter responds to those people, those people who said, that man healed that man, and we want to know that man because of his great works. And so he speaks to them in verse 12. And when Peter saw this, the people, and how they were looking at him, he addressed them. He said, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us? Though by your own power, by our own power power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you, you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer, listen to this phrase, for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life. Remember earlier I told you what Adam and Eve wanted to be, right? They wanted to be their own authors. They wanted to write their own story. Peter says, you killed the one who writes the story. Oh, Peter doesn't mess around. The one whom God raised from the dead, to this we are witnesses. And his name by faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And so Peter answers, 
the most difficult of all questions for a new church, a new movement, who will lead them? And Peter's answer is Jesus will lead us. He sets down his pride, his desire to rule, which don't think for a second he didn't think about for just a moment. And instead, he says, it is Jesus who you crucified, the one who is the author of life, including my own, who will rule us. Through God's grace, Peter avoided the great temptation of pride, for he knew that he was not in charge of his life like those who would portray themselves as little kings. For he knows that as little Christ, we are called only to witness, never to rule. And that's exactly what Peter did. He witnesses. He goes on to preach for another six or seven verses about why Christ is the Christ and what he did and where he comes from. And then he closes this verse, uh, uh, this section, by doing something just remarkable. He, in essence, offers to the prideful little kings, the same thing he offered to the lame beggar. He offers wholeness and refreshness, but on their insides instead of on their outsides. Acts 3, 17 through 20, he says, Now brothers, I know that you acted in arrogance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, has thus been fulfilled. And then here's the offer, verse 19. Repent, therefore, and turn again, that your sins may be blotted out. Listen to this. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed to you. He repeats the exact same offer made to the beggar for his outward healing, but instead now pleading to these broken and bent men for their inside healing. And so he leaves them with this concept of who they want to be and where do they want to go. He closes the whole chapter in verse 26 with a blessing saying that God having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. He's saying to them, if you will repent, if you will take hold of the hand of Christ and stand in faith, stepping forward into a new life, taking off the crowns of you and and instead exchanging them for the crowns of thorns of the Savior you crucified, you can be a whole new person refreshed and renewed, right? Is that what it says? Refreshing, a refreshing may come. You may be in the presence of God so that he can send Christ appointed to you. You too can be filled with the Holy Spirit so that you too can deny yourself and your pride, recognizing that you are as broken as everybody else, but you are also as beautiful as the Savior himself through his love for you. If we could do that, he says it'll change everything. But it requires us to repent It requires us to see us in our process. It requires us to engage with God on a different place and a different level. It requires us not to just attend a church, but to be the church. It requires us not to just say, well, I don't act proudly, but to not be proud. And the only way that that happens is if you're transformed on the inside and you don't have a pen or paper big enough to rewrite the soul and all the problems you've caused with it. But he does. For he is the author of life who I pierced, who I spit upon, who I bruised with my life, who looked at me and said, I will bring refreshing to you if you will simply choose me as your king and as your ruler, and who day after day I have to, within my process, surrender this kingdom that I continue to want to build for myself. For even now, and I'll put it up there, through the Holy Spirit we are all little Christ, overcoming little kings on our way to becoming dancing bakers.
Yeah. Yeah, you just, you just let that soak in for a second. That's your process. That's where you're heading. I don't know where you're at in the process. Maybe you don't even know the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've never accepted Christ in your life. You don't think it's real. And so I think there's a verse for you really quick. Um, it's all right, Psalm 10:4. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are there is no God. Maybe that's where you're at in your process. Maybe you missed it the first time, so I repeated it the second time, just in case you, you, you missed it. Maybe, go back to the phrase at the end, please. Maybe you do know the Holy Spirit, but you haven't accepted that you're a little Christ, and so you're not overcoming anything because you're still kind of in charge. You accepted Christ. You chose the Savior. You decided to create this life that you live now. And frankly, you haven't even come to the realization that you have broken legs or that you are sitting outside the temple of his presence because you are the author of you. Maybe you have now realized that you are sitting outside the temple of his presence, but you're not overcoming anything because you're not willing to step up like the dancing beggar, the future dancing beggar, and trust that God wants to pull you in. You're waiting for God to heal you when God's waiting for you to step up so he can. Maybe you are stepping out, and maybe you're on your way to realizing that you can be a witness for God even in your rags. (laughs) but maybe you're too afraid to dance. Maybe even the miracle of the healing he's brought upon your life and the crookedness of your soul for some reason causes you embarrassment and you don't want to look stupid, you don't want to look silly, you don't want to make a mistake or misquote a verse or share something that's not true, and so you don't share anything at all. So although you are fully aware of your brokenness, of your need for God, you are fully healed by him. You're not willing to truly dance in your marriage and forgive in your story and share. You're just not willing because at the end of the day, you have a little bit of that little king still in you that says, I don't want to look silly. Or maybe you're dancing. And maybe you're all by yourself, rags and everything. And maybe right now you are just on fire because you know that this entire sermon has been all about you and you don't care. (laughs) Because it's not about what you were or what you are or what you're gonna be. It's not about what I think or they think or anybody thinks. It's all about Christ and his presence in your life and his healing in your life. It's about the cross of Calvary and what it brings. And you know that every day your king will be born again and every day the one who came and was born again will crush your king. (sighs) Maybe that was for me. Maybe that was for you. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit that's asking us to take a minute, reflect on this. Because I'm not really sure I have any more words to say about it. There's a lot of people in here today. And you need to express this journey to the Holy Spirit. You need to feel that. And so we're going to just move into a time of communion. It doesn't have any specific ending. We've got plenty of time in the service. We're going to move into a time of communion. We're going to pass it. And you're going to take that bread and you're going to take that juice. And then I'm going to come back up and I'm going to partake with you and administer that. So we're going to pass the communion. We're going to reflect upon what, where and how this applies to our lives. So take that juice if you are a follower of Christ. Take that bread. If you are not a follower of Christ, abstain from this. Be honest about where you're at in your journey. But if you believe in God, even if you're mad at him, If you believe in God, even if you're wrestling with why things are going on how they are, run back to that cross. Run back 
to Calvary, run back to that place. That place that only he and you know about. That place where you can engage with him inside your story, where you can experience him, where you can share with him where and why and how you are. And in that place, be authentic about all of it. For he is the only one who matters. Lord, you are the only one who heals. And so I ask as we move into this time of communion, that God, it would be only about you. That there would be no distractions, that there would be no thoughts that fill our minds or doubts that keep us from intimacy and connection with you. I ask instead, Lord, that in this room there would be a sense of belonging, belonging first to one another, that we together can admit we all wrestle with this idea of giving over rulership, that we all struggle in our souls with what it means to truly surrender who we are, what we hoped for, what we dreamed, what we thought we would be. I ask God there would be a sense of belonging together and that there would be a sense of belonging to you. That as we think about your cross, as we think about your sacrifice, that it wouldn't just be a Sunday morning way to spend time, but instead it would be a real contemplation, God, of where we're at in this universe. With our family, with our friends, with our faith, with our finances, with our with our deepest struggles and our highest dreams. We just set in this time with you now. In Jesus' name, amen.